We turn in Scripture to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. They have just celebrated the Lord's Supper for the first time. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and now Jesus is speaking to his disciples and fellowshipping with them. And we'll touch on that in the preaching, but here in chapter 15, we come into the middle of it, Jesus speaking to his disciples. We read the first 17 verses, John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman, the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. So far we read God's holy and infallible and beautiful word. The text this evening is verse 15, John 15, verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
It is an amazing thing simply to be known as the servant of Jesus Christ. Let's start there this evening. To be but a servant of Jesus Christ is itself a most glorious reality. We must be servants. That's how we were created. We were created to serve. We will be servants. The only question is, whose servants will we be? By nature, we deserve to be the servants or slaves of Satan, that great Pharaoh, that taskmaster. By nature, what we deserve is to live under his cruel bondage, to be whipped, beaten, driven to slave labor every day, dying a continual death every day under cruel dominion and oppression. But that's not the case with us. Because by God's grace, we have been made the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that reality, all by itself, is a most blessed truth we cherish. You and I are the servants of Christ. That's one of our chief privileges and joys as Christians To serve the king. All your life is dignified with just this one truth. You're serving the king, Jesus Christ. Who is king of kings and lord of lords. Whose palace is the heaven of heavens. Whose throne is heaven. Whose footstool is the earth. Whose lands is this entire universe. Who is the king who has all riches, all power, and all glory? That's the king you serve. He is also the king who is kind and compassionate and tender and sympathetic towards his servants. He condescends to know them, to listen to them and care for them. Even as we looked at last week, he even weeps with them. And he is the king whose commands that he gives his servants are perfect. And good. And they they fill the soul of his servants with great joy because Jesus, as the king, only commands good things. And so, as I said, to be but the servant of Jesus is itself a most glorious reality. However, in the passage we look at this evening, Jesus presents to us a truth that goes far beyond even that great reality. In this passage this evening, Jesus presents to us a truth that our weak and puny minds can hardly grasp and take in. Because what Jesus says in the text is this, not only are you my servants, dignified and honored with that privileged position, but I make you my friends. Not only are you my servants, whom I love and whom I care for and and I'm responsible for and I bless you, you are my friends. Do you realize how astonishing that truth is, beloved? To be someone's friend is a special thing. Simply to have friendship is a special thing. For a child to have a friend, for a child to have someone who calls him or her his friend, that means something. That means the world to that child. The glorious truth that the text puts before us this evening is this. Jesus calls you and me his friend friends. And again, it's not just that we call him our friend. Yeah, that's my friend. But that's what Jesus says to us. That's my friend. That's my friend. This evening, as we continue to look at the heart of Jesus, what we see is that Jesus is a man characterized 
by true friendliness. His heart is the heart of a perfect friend. In his heart, at the very center of his being, this is what Jesus is. He is a perfect friend. We'll take as our theme, the heart of a perfect friend. We're looking at glimpses, but we're taking glimpses into the heart of Jesus. And in our third sermon now, we look at his heart as the heart of a perfect friend. We look at three things. First, we look at what friendship is. Second, we look at Jesus' friendship, especially in John 15. And then third, we look at Jesus' friendship with us, and we apply it to us. To begin treating this passage, we should first ask the question, what is a friend? Well, there are a few specific things we could say about what a friend is. First, we can say that a friend is someone who is loyal. A friend is someone who won't turn his back on you when the going gets tough. A true friend says, I'm going to stick with my friend through thick and thin. You read that in Scripture. In Proverbs 17, verse 7, we read, A friend loveth at all times, expressing that idea of loyalty. Proverbs 18, verse 24, puts it this way, There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And Proverbs 20, verse 6, puts it this way, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And the idea of that verse is this, Many will say that they are good friends, but a true friend who is truly faithful is hard to find. Many people will simply use their friends for themselves, for their own reputation, their own self-image. But a true friend, a friend who is faithful, who is loyal, is hard to find. And friendship involves loyalty even in this respect, that I pursue holiness in my own life out of my friendship for you and my friendship with you. I take care of myself spiritually so that I don't hurt or damage or weaken our friendship. That's true friendship, beloved. That's loyalty. And one of the biggest reasons friendships fall apart is because of disloyalty in exactly this way. Because one person or the other has given themselves over to sin and has chosen to walk that path of sin. And that's a path of selfishness. You want to ruin a friendship? All you have to do is sin. Sin destroys friendships. Particularly willful, impenitent sin shows that I am ultimately selfish. I am not your friend. And you are not my friend because I am for me in the end. That's not friendship. Friendship involves loyalty. Friendship involves being true to one another. Second, a friend is someone who, who loves you and in love protects you. A friend will do anything, go anywhere, and give anything for the well-being of his friend. It kind of builds on what I've just said. A good friend looks out for you. As Jesus says in John 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what true friendship looks like. When a man is willing even to lose all for the sake of his friend, maybe his reputation, maybe his money, maybe his job, he's willing to lose it for his friend. And of course, that's what Jesus did. He lost it all, forsaken of his father out of friendship. Third, a friend is someone who will give you honest correction. A friend is not going to flatter you for the sake of being accepted, but the friend's going to be honest with you. In fact, the closer the friendship is, the, you might say the more honest it becomes. 
In Proverbs 27, verse 6, we read, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend is someone who protects you even to this extent. He will speak hard words to you in order to help you to do what is right. He will risk hurting your feelings for a short time. He will risk losing your favor for a time in order to do you good. Because this is how much he cares for you. A true friend is willing to do difficult things for your good. So a friend is someone who's loyal, someone who protects you, and someone who gives you honest correction. And we could probably list uh, a few more things like that. And yet I think if we wanted to strike at the very heart of the issue and answer that question, what is a friend? We would have to say this. A friend is simply someone who shares himself with you. Friends are those who bear their souls to each other. They enjoy each other and share with each other. Friends are those who trust each other and share their secrets with each other. And they spend time together. In friendship, you have common views. You you think the same way. You have common feelings. You you can sympathize with each other. You have common plans and, and hopes and aspirations. You think the same way. You are in agreement in thoughts and purposes. A friend is someone you get along with. You share yourself with them and they share themselves with you. You can share your worries with them, your anxieties, your hopes. I guess that's part of being honest with each other. You share your dreams, all of who you are. Just think of Abraham in the Bible. Abraham is called the friend of God. God says, Abraham's my friend. And why is Abraham given that special description? Well, exactly because this is how God interacted with Abraham. He shared his thoughts with Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want to tell you what I'm going to do. Abraham, I'm going to make of your seed a great nation. I'm going to give unto your seed the land of Canaan for an inheritance. And Abraham, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He's sharing his thoughts with Abraham, his plans and purposes. Even in smaller things, God shared his thoughts with Abraham. Even remember when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? This is exactly how God thought about Abraham. God said, shall I hide from Abraham this thing which I do? And God said, no, I will not hide it from Abraham because Abraham is my friend. And so God told Abraham, that's friendship. The exchange of thoughts of the hearts of two or more friends. To see that this is true, we should see that this is exactly the difference between a servant and a friend. And, and that's exa- I emphasize this because this is exactly what Jesus is saying in the text this evening. A servant is different than a friend. A servant is not close to his master in the same way that a friend is. A servant doesn't live with his master. A servant, in fact, often has his own living quarters. A servant even often has his own eating quarters. He doesn't eat at the same table as his master. Even think of Joseph when he was in Pharaoh's palace as the second in command, and Joseph had to eat by a table, and then his own brother sat at a different table. That was maybe before they knew, but but the, the, the king, the master, sits by himself, not with his servants. A servant doesn't live like one of the members of the family. He doesn't lounge on the couch with his feet on the table. No, the servant has his place where he stays. And if he's wanted by the master, the master rings the bell and the servant comes. The servant must not invade the boundaries of the master. He's one who stays in the background, who, who stands in the shadow. He doesn't have the freedom to share himself or his thoughts with his master. Remember Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer? He wasn't allowed to be sad in his king's presence. 
A servant must maintain certain inhibitions out of proper decorum and propriety. He isn't there to share his thoughts. He's there to serve. In addition, a servant isn't made privy to the inward thoughts and plans of his master. The master might be planning to build a huge addition to his house, but the master doesn't share his plan with his servant until it's time for the servant to go to work and help him carry out that plan. The master might be planning a long family vacation, but he doesn't share those plans with the servant. He only shares those plans with the servant to the extent that the servant knows how to serve the family. That's a servant. His role is simply to obey, not share in the thoughts of the master, but simply to obey. With a friend, it's entirely different. With a friend, the master welcomes the friend into his home and says, make yourself comfortable. Come into the living room and we can sit together and talk. With a friend, the master says, you sit at my table. It would be odd to sit at different tables. You sit at my table. We eat together. With a friend, the master says, let's talk openly. Let's talk as friends. With a friend, there is simply a closeness and an intimacy, a familiarity and comfortableness that simply doesn't exist with a mere servant. With a friend, the master shares his plans, maybe for remodeling the house, maybe for building the business. You share your plans. You share your thoughts. You're close to each other. A friend is someone who has your confidence and one in whom you can confide. That's what true friendship looks like. Ultimately, if we want to know what true friendship looks like, we ought to look to God Himself. When we think of the Trinity, God and the three persons of the Trinity, there you see perfect unity, perfect oneness, perfect loyalty, perfect communion, perfect sharing, perfect love and care. That's friendship. That's God's covenant within Himself, perfect friendship. Friendship is ultimately rooted in spiritual oneness. Among the three persons of the Trinity, there is friendship in exactly that way. There is spiritual unity. They think the same thoughts. They have the same desires. They have the same spiritual delights. And then when God, the triune God, establishes a relationship of friendship with His people, what God does is make us one with Him. He shares with us His thoughts. He shares with us His desires. He shares with us His delights Not just in the sense of telling us what he thinks and what he desires and what he delights, but even in the sense of causing us to share those same thoughts. So that we have those same thoughts and we have those same desires and we have those same delights. We're spiritually one. And that's the friendship that exists among us as God's people. That's what ties us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, as friends in Christ. We can say, these are my friends. Because there's that spiritual unity, that spiritual oneness. And out of that spiritual unity, there flows all these other beautiful realities. We're loyal. We have love. We we protect one another. We we share with each other. We're honest with each other. I'm thinking right now how even the office bears, maybe even the elders particularly, are not just rulers, but they're your friends. And they lead by example in these things that they do looking out for each other, being that friend. That's what friendship is. Friendship is a very beautiful and precious thing. Really, this is at the heart of all the Scriptures. The Scriptures are all about God's perfect friendship towards His people. Now, that's friendship. Now, when we turn to John 15, verse 15, and we look at Jesus' friendship, we see that this is exactly what Jesus is talking about 
with his friendship with his disciples. In John 15, verse 15, Jesus says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Jesus says, I call you friends. Jesus says, you are my friends. And what Jesus is saying there to his disciples is this. You are the ones that I have chosen to share myself with, to share my thoughts with, to share my plans with, to share my life with. I am God, come in the flesh, and in this flesh and blood, I have chosen you to be those with whom I share my life. You are the ones I want to be close to. You are the ones whom I entrust, unto whom I entrust myself. You are the ones unto whom I confide my secret thoughts. You are the ones whom I want to be familiar with. And by my own doing, you are the ones with whom I am spiritually one. I have taken you to be my friends. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I will be loyal to you. I will lay down my life for you. For you, I will give you all that I am for your salvation because I'm your friend. Jesus says, up until now, you have understood yourselves to be merely servants. You've done my bidding. You've obeyed my instructions. And that's good. That's proper. But now I'm raising this relationship to a higher level. Yes, you will still be my servants and I will still be your master. I will still be your teacher. But you are also my friends. You are my friend servants. And Jesus says that in the text, just the way that he says it, because this is how he is dealing with his disciples in this entire chapter and in the entire context. He's not treating them like servants here. He's interacting with them as friends. Look at the whole context here, John 15. Jesus is in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. And what's happening? It's as if All Jesus wants to do is spend time with his disciples. Judas, that friend, the betrayer, he's been dismissed. The Passover meal and the Lord's Supper have been taken care of. They've had their meal. And now Jesus is just sitting back with his disciples and talking to them, sharing his thoughts with them. And for four chapters, from chapters 14 through 17 of John, Jesus simply speaks to his disciples as friends. Congregation, I think it would be a a very astonishing experience to be one of those disciples there in the upper room. Here is Jesus, the Son of God. And if I may put it this way, he's just being a friend to his disciples. Perhaps John is there lying on Jesus' bosom. The disciples are able to ask any kind of question that they want to ask. If I may put it this way, they're just chatting. God in the flesh with his chosen friends. It's like friends gathered together in the living room for a night of fellowship and dessert. And Jesus is speaking very frankly to his disciples. He he talks to them about their fears and their anxieties. He speaks to them about why they don't need to fear and be anxious. And he starts sharing all his inner thoughts with them. He's sharing his secrets with them. What kind of secrets does he share with them? Well, he talks to them about his suffering and death. That's about to happen. It's on his mind, and he shares what's on his mind with his friends. 
He talks to them about his ascension into heaven and what's going to happen in his future, his, his plans and his, his, what he's going to do in the future. He talks to them about sending the Holy Spirit. And they just soak it up. They love it. And they love it because they're experiencing friendship with Jesus. And because they are his friends. And then in chapter 17... With his disciples, Jesus prays a very intimate prayer to his heavenly Father. And he prays very intimately right in front of his disciples. He's sharing his heart with them. And you know that when you pray together, that's the most heart-revealing thing you do when you pray together. Because you're expressing what's, what's on your heart. And, and Jesus spends a whole chapter praying freely with them and in front of them. He's sharing himself with them. And in this whole section, he talks with his disciples with an intimacy and a companionship that simply wasn't there before. And then what happens immediately after this? When they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is betrayed by his friend, Judas Iscariot. He's taken back to Jerusalem. And the next day, he's nailed to the cross. Yet, he submits to all of it because he's got his friends in mind, doesn't he? He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for his friends. And and he wants their salvation. He wants their protection and their eternal good. So he lays down his life on the cross. And so Jesus says in the text, up to this point, I've dealt with you as servants, but from here on out, I deal with you also as friends. Our relationship is maturing. It's changing. I'm revealing my thoughts to you. Jesus says, you are my friends. I love you. I care for you. I will be loyal to you. I will protect you. I will admonish you. I will do you good. And above all, I will share myself with you. Just as I'm doing right now, Jesus says, I will share myself with you. And I will share myself with you in a very special way through the outpouring of my Holy Spirit. So that with my Spirit, not only will I share my thoughts with you, but, but you will have my thoughts. I will work my thoughts within you. I will work my life within you. I will work my own heart in you in a very deep and intimate way, and we will be one in a very deep and intimate way. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, as we heard this morning. And the reason Jesus says all of this is to emphasize to his disciples that he loves them. Jesus says, this is how much I love you. This is a proof and a pledge of my love towards you. Yes, you are my servants. But I deal with you not merely as servants, but as friends because I love you. And you will see how much I love you when you see that I'm laying down my life for you. And even all that I'm doing right now is in preparation for laying down my life for you. Now, the point I want to emphasize this evening in the sermon is this. That's the heart of Jesus Christ, beloved. That's who your Jesus is. He was and is a real man who had real friends, who had real friendships, and he enjoyed his friends. Even think about his 12 disciples. He even has his inner group of friends, doesn't he? That's something striking to think about. James and John and Peter, that that closer friendship. You might say, how does that work? But it just emphasizes that Jesus enjoyed real friendship. And he cared for his friends. And he shared himself with them. And he spent time with them. And he was loyal to them. And he never betrayed them. 
And everything that you could possibly include in the definition of a friend characterizes who Jesus is to his people. And it wasn't just as if Jesus does everything right that a friend is supposed to do in an external way. But the point is, in his heart, in the very center of who your Savior is, this is who he is. He is a friend. He has a heart that enjoys time with his friends. And you see that coming out here in John chapter 15. He enjoys spending time with his people. And you also see this coming out in other passages too. Just think of what we read last week, John chapter 11. And we saw Jesus there weeping at the graveside of Lazarus. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples before they made the journey to Bethany? You remember what he said? He said, our friend Lazarus is dead. You see, Lazarus was Jesus' friend. Mary and Martha were Jesus' friends. And Jesus wept with Mary and Martha exactly because he was their friend. Do you remember what the onlookers said about Jesus when they saw Jesus weeping at Lazarus' graveside? Remember, Jesus wept. And then it says, and they said, behold how he loved him. How he loved Lazarus. And what's striking about that word love is that that word love is the word that refers to the love of friendship, phileo. It's like they were saying, behold how Jesus was the friend of Lazarus. Jesus' heart is the heart of a perfect friend. Or think of another passage, Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7, verse 24, we learn of how the Pharisees were mocking Jesus. And remember, one of the main things that the Pharisees mocked Jesus for was this, that he was the friend of publicans and sinners. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Now we know that language, but just think about that for a moment. This is how Jesus' enemies saw Jesus. This is instinctively what they noticed when they looked at Jesus. He's the friend of sinners. The least in the culture. Men of low degree. He's their friend. Now, Jesus' enemies might speak these words to try to heap contempt upon Jesus. But congregation, for those who know themselves to be sinners, that's a label of unspeakable comfort. Jesus makes sinners his friends. Is that shameful, that Jesus has sinners as his friends? Well, it's only shameful to, the, to those who think they don't fall into that category, like the Pharisees. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He sits with them, and he dines with them. He fellowships with them. He enjoys spending time with them. And from the language used in, John, in Luke 7, verse 24, it's clear that the publicans and the sinners felt comfortable and welcomed around Jesus. I think there's another verse in Luke 15 where you read that the, the, the publicans and sinners were being drawn to Jesus. That They were crowding around him. Isn't that striking how the tax collectors and the sinners are flocking to Jesus? Those who are hurting, those who are covered in shame, they can't stay away from this man. They're comfortable around him. They see something different about him. Others are holding them at arm's length. But Jesus gives these people his love and his care and affection. Jesus is befriending them. 
who don't have friends. A perfect, righteous man. The Son of God. And He's coming to sinners and showing them true, genuine friendship. Now understand, this doesn't mean that Jesus approved of the sin that these sinners were guilty of. But Jesus calls them to repentance. And Jesus fellowships with those who are repentant sinners. Repentant sinners who were written off by the proud and haughty leaders in Israel as irredeemables. This is who Jesus is. He's the friend of sinners. He's loyal to them. True to His every word to them. He's honest with them. He shares Himself with them. He's spiritually united to them. He's their friend. And this is who God is, beloved. God is our friend. That, that's why God came to the earth in the incarnation. He came for friendship. That's what scriptures are all about. Now understand, God doesn't need our friendship. It wasn't as if there was anything lacking in God and God needed us to fill up what he was lacking. As if we are simply a means to an end for God. No, that's, that's not true friendship anyway. Simply using someone to fill up a lack in yourself? God doesn't just use us. No, God already enjoyed perfect friendship and fellowship in Himself. But this was God's good pleasure. This is simply what God enjoys doing. He's a friendly God. And He shares His bliss with us. He brings us to enjoy His own perfect friendship, opening Himself and His heart of friendship towards His elect people. Just like he's the, it might sound strange to us to hear it that way, but just as he's the God of grace and the God of mercy and the God of love, he's the God who's friendly. And he does all of this in and through Jesus Christ. He himself comes in the flesh to be our friend and as a friend lay down his life on the cross. And again, we need to remember when you look at Jesus, beloved, Jesus' heart of friendship is but the reflection of, and revelation of God's own heart of friendship. God is a God of friendship. And the wonder of the gospel is that God has chosen you and me to be his friends. This is our reality. As we live in this world, as we grow old through the toils and struggles of life, this is our reality. We are the friends of God. He's chosen us to be his friends. We who were the enemies of God. We who had spoiled God's perfect work of creation. We who made ourselves to be rebels. We who, who betrayed God. Who broke friendship with God in Father Adam in the Garden of Eden. And in His infinite mercy and to showcase His glory. God has chosen to restore us to that relationship of friendship. And not just that, but He ordained all of it. And he carries it all out so that he might even raise that relationship of friendship to a higher, more glorious level. So that we can fellowship with him face to face in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus came. This is who Jesus is. He is the God of friendship come in our flesh who has made us his friends by his irresistible grace and sovereign goodness. His heart is a heart of, perfect, of a perfect Friend. And you can look at every page of Scripture. That's ultimately what Scripture is about. It reveals to us the perfect friendship, the unconditional love, the unspeakable grace of the King of glory, the King of creation, who has made us His friends. 
Now, congregation, what we must recognize is that Jesus' love for his disciples here in John 15 is a love he also has for us today. I've touched on that, but it's worth saying it that way. The friendship that he had with his disciples is the friendship, the same friendship he has with us today. Let's read the words of the text once more. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And now to add one more layer to our understanding of this text, consider this. We need to understand these words as being spoken not just to Jesus' disciples, but being spoken to the entire New Testament church. That's part of the significance of this passage, because these disciples are not just individual disciples, right? But this is the church in the upper room with Jesus. They represent the church of the New Testament, and there's that significance in these words too. And even with the church, there's a transition that's about to be made, just as the disciples are, are no longer servants, but they're going to be friends also with the church. At this point in time, the church is going to go from the Old Testament time period into the New Testament. And with that change would come this change as well. Not only are they children that are becoming mature, adults, but they are also going from being mere servants, in a sense, to a more intimate, closer, fuller relationship, being also a friend. Jesus speaks to his church now more fully. All those mysteries in the Old Testament that, that were not seen and understood by God's people, Jesus now reveals those secrets, those mysteries to his people in the New Testament by his Holy Spirit. That, that's, that's where you have the change. Jesus on the cross purchases the Holy Spirit for his church and then he pours out his spirit upon the church so that through the Holy Spirit the church is raised to this more intimate level of fellowship. So Jesus is speaking here not just to his disciples, but to the entire New Testament church. And now just because these words are being spoken to the New Testament church, Jesus is also speaking these words to you and me this evening, specifically now to you and me this evening. And these words need to be applied to our own hearts, personally and individually as members of the New Testament church. Child of God, Jesus calls you his friend. He is loyal to you. He's sitting on the throne right now at God's right hand, working all things for your sakes. And, and we have finite, puny minds, but he is loyal, and he's doing all things the way it needs to be done for his friends. He protects you. He speaks honestly to you. Even in our dealings, even in his chastening of us, he speaks honestly to us and he corrects us as his friends. And above all, he has chosen to share himself with you. He loves you. He wants to be close to you and he makes himself close to you. He cares for you. He shares his secrets with you. Isn't that what this is all about? The Bible? The Old Testament church didn't have what we as the church of the New Testament have, the whole Bible. And in giving us the entire Bible, Jesus has opened his mind to us and giving us his spirit so that we can discern it and understand it. He's sharing his thoughts with us. That's why we study the Bible, beloved. 
That, in a sense, if you want motivation for Bible study this year, that's the motivation for Bible study. To spend time with my friend and, and hear my friend speak to me and speak to us as his people. That's what Jesus has done in giving us the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's given us his own mind so that we think his thoughts after him. That's why he came to the earth and died on the cross so that we might be his friends. Yes, also his servants. And that's an, an exalted privilege we have. But even more, that we might be his friends. That's why he's worked within your heart a true and living faith. That's why he's leading your life the way that he does. He's your friend. He is that friend who is perfectly gentle with you, who perfectly sympathizes with your thoughts, who, who never rushes you on because he's got other things to do. He's got all the time in the world for you. He's your friend. He treats you perfectly. And he opens up his deepest purposes to you. He lets you completely into his heart. He's the one who is safe, trustworthy with your deepest and, and most intimate thoughts. You know, we have our spectrum of friends, and it's kind of like a, a, a target where you have those outer rings and then the inner rings, and you have that circle of friends and then a closer circle of friends and then a closer circle of friends, and Jesus is the bullseye. He's that deepest, most perfect, most intimate friend with whom you can share everything. You don't share everything with your friends here on earth, but Jesus knows your heart, and you know he's safe. You can share your heart with him. He's the friend who, who never stabs you in the back, who, who's, who's perfect in his dealings with you. He's the friend who pursues you. His goodness and mercy pursue you all your days. And he lets himself be pursued by you. Maybe, maybe to put that more clearly, he's the one who works within us so that he, he draws us to himself so that we do pursue him and he then joyfully satisfies our longings and cravings for him. He's the friend, as I said, who always has time for you. And as I said in the introduction, it's not just that we call him our friend, but it's that Jesus, the Son of God, calls me and calls you his friend. There's a mutuality there, a mutuality of friendship. There's a, a back and forth that's mysterious and that's rich and deep. We're not stocks and blocks. Our relationship is not a, a stock and block relationship. There's a personal relationship of friendship. Jesus gives us the friendship that gets underneath the pain of our loneliness. We may be lonely. All this talk about friendship, and maybe I feel like I don't have very many friends. We may be lonely, wanting human companionship, but Jesus' friendship is the friendship that, that makes that loneliness more bearable. He is the friend who's there and who understands. Jesus is not just the perfect idea of friendship in the abstract, like some idea. He's an actual friend. He's an actual friend. And beloved, his friendship is unconditional. His friendship is unchanging. He's not ashamed to be called your friend. He does not receive you coolly. That's not his heart. That's not his heart. His heart is the heart of a perfect friend. Congregation, isn't our Jesus so beautiful? Isn't our Jesus a beautiful friend? And isn't our God an awesome God? God of justice, God of holiness, God of power, God of friendship. What an amazing thing to be a Christian. 
You have a friend in Christ. What an amazing thing to be a child of God. Go home, enjoying that, exulting in that, that you've been made the friend of God. Now, one question, I'm going to, this is very brief. Just leave this question with you. Take this question home with you. One question we need to ask ourselves is this. If this is who Jesus is, as my friend, how am I as Jesus' friend? Am I living faithfully as the friend of Jesus? What kind of friend am I to Jesus? What kind of friend servant am I? Am I loyal in my daily living, in my entertainment, in in my work? Am I loyal? Am I sharing myself with him? How's my personal relationship with my best friend, my God and my Savior, Jesus Christ? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we feel that we don't want to go home. We enjoy fellowshipping with Thee and hearing how Thou art our friend. We wish that the Sunday didn't have to end and we could just rest and enjoy Jesus speaking to us, sharing His thoughts with us. We thank Thee for the hope of glory and of that eternal life of enjoying friendship with Thee and learning more of Thy heart, Thy perfect heart. And we thank Thee that we already experience it now in a small way. Lord, show us more and more who Thou art as our friend and work within us Thy Spirit that we might indeed be good friend servants and live faithfully as Thy people. Bless this preaching to our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.